All right, gang. So just a quick heads up.、Uh, instead of doing what I've been promising for ages, which is to get around to that audio book, instead I went ahead and compiled all ten years of the Blue Skies writing that I did and put it together in a fucking book. It's gonna go on Amazon here, real damn quick. Listed as the Lunatic Fringe book, you'll be able to find it in pretty much any of the marketplaces that Amazon has. It is literally every single word I ever wrote from that magazine, and it's all put together in nice book form. You can buy it in ebook, you can buy it in paperback, and believe it or not, you can even buy it in fucking hardback.、Uh, again, it's gonna be available here really, really soon. This one not only includes all the articles that were in the first fucking pilot book, but about sixty more articles. It's got three hundred and fifty or so pages of some pretty funny, inappropriate, and hopefully informative shit. So check it out. Blue skies call. They seduce us, pulling us irresistibly upwards, reminding us to fly our own line, on our wings, and in life. We are the seekers, adventurers, being one with the air, feeling everything and nothing at once. That's the magic we chase. Follow the call. Find your pure wild flight with NZ Aerosports. Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on! One glance at an Icarus "fuck yeah" sticker, and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports "fuck yeah." NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you ten jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it. Swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after ten jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model, or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got, man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust. Like the Sapphire Three, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire Three, when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX Two, if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken, built as a low pack volume canopy specifically with wingsuiting in mind. She gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So the equipment is top of the line, kick-ass stuff, as you already know. But how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help, with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, 
Once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. Back in the can with another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void and a special one here. This is actually uh, the second time that I've had the uh, opportunity to interview this person, but it's a little bit different this time around. So tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? Hey, Dean. My name's Albert Birchtoll, and I am a, uh, I'm a husband. I'm a father of two. I'm a skydiver. Do some swooping. I do some camera work. Uh, I do some crew. Do some accuracy. A little bit of belly flying. It's been a while, but I used to know how to free fly way back in the day. Sure. And uh, and I'm also the executive director for USPA. You're you're at the top of the pyramid, man. Yeah, yeah. Some somewhere. If there was a pyramid, I'd be I'd be somewhere scraping to keep from sliding down the side of it. I guess. I I mean. I've talked about this on the podcast before with other people that you and I are both good friends with. It is so cool to have someone that I came up with in the sport and know from the way back days who is now helping to shape the direction that skydiving goes. That is just so freaking cool. It's crazy where, where the world takes us. When I, um, when I took this job, um, one of the early messages I got when they said, Oh, you know, new executive director and there's a press release and, and, um, <clears throat> my old friend, uh, Dave Grabowski from, uh, up in the Northeast, I shot four way video for him way back in the early two thousands when I got my first camera and he did, um, he had a four way team with, um, Michelle Fonzo, uh, Johnny Griggs and, and there was somebody else on the team, but the fourth changed out a couple of times, but I used to drive, I lived in Manhattan and I used to drive up to the ranch and I would sleep in the great hall. So this was before Scott of the ranch had a hangar. Um, they had this, it was called the great hall and it was kind of a room, like a locker room almost. And I would sit up in the evening and, and drink beer at the bonfire. And then I would go pass out in the great hall. I would sleep on the couch. Right. And then the four way team would show up first thing in the morning. And, um, and I would come kind of strolling out of the, out of the, the great hall and having just woken up and I'm trying to wake up and, and they're out there stretching and, and doing yoga and preparing for four way. And I come kind of wandering out and they're like, Hey, Al's here. And, um, Dave posts on, on my Facebook page, he goes, you know, the back from the days at the ranch, he goes, if there was, you know, when I saw him in the morning, never once did I look at Albert and go, you know, one day 
that guy's going to be the executive the director. director. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but I, I got to say, beside the fact that that's just fucking funny, it's also true, though. I can't think of any of the jumpers that you and I came up with that I would have ever expected in a position like you are. But looking back on your career from the vantage point that I have, and I'm sure from you have, it's exactly where I would expect you to be now. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I mean, I had a <clears throat> I had a professional life, right? I went to school to be an accountant and I studied I, I, IT stuff and, and I went to work and I worked in New York City for a while and I traveled and I was an auditor and and uh, and then I got into skydiving, right? I left the real world, I cut away, moved into a trailer on the DZ, lived the skydiving life for a while and I still kind of kept a, a foot, you know, I moved it, went and worked at Performance Designs for a while. Uh, worked in their marketing department, became part of their management team. And, and, and while I was there, I joined the USPA board on mm. a volunteer basis and um, got to really like getting involved in the sport and getting involved in the decision-making process of USPA and, and, and what happens and why things are the way they are and, and learning how to affect change sure. within our sport and our organization and do it in a way that works. Right. You know um, it's not just, you know, it's not those guys. There's no them. You know, there's no secret guy behind a curtain. It's it's us. You right. know, USPA is our organization. Um, and the cool thing is, a lot of people look at it and they they try and poke at USPA as a government entity. Well, USPA is far from a government entity. They're the opposite of the government entity. <laughs> right. The government is the government. The FAA is the government, and it's our job. USPA is is us. This is the 42,000 skydivers in the United States and abroad who are members of the organization. And USPA is our ability to work with the government and, and mold our sport the way we want it to be. So I've tried to take a different look at that and say, how do we affect that change and make our sport what we want it to be, you know, without having excessive government control? So it's been kind of cool the way the way it's it's changed. and Sure. Well, I mean, you kind of got your your feet wet, so to speak, with uh, organizing and really pushing for different change and, and new things with skydiving with the FLCPA, yeah? Yeah, I did the FLCPA for about 12 years. Um, Chris Hayes ran it before me. Chris Hayes, Justin Thornton, uh, Ian Bobo, these were some of the guys that put this league together sure. in the early 2000s while I was still living in, in uh, New Jersey. Mm. And they were doing this thing down in Florida, grassroots league. Guys would get together once a month and there'd be, you know, eight, 10 of them out there. And they'd be set up pool noodles in the middle of the landing area. Not every place had a pond. Right. Ponds weren't around, weren't big time then, you know, a couple places had ponds, but they tried to go to different DZs. And, and then I moved to Florida. I got a job with PD and moved to Florida. I was young, energetic. And uh, I kept nagging Chris, kept bugging him every day, Chris, where's the schedule for next year? Cause I was hungry. Sure. Know, I really wanted to swoop. And eventually I nagged him enough that he looked at me and he went, Howard, I think, I think you should make the count the schedule this year. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I think you should make the schedule for the FLCPA for next year. You should take it over. You should do it. I'm done. I've had enough of it. And he invited me over to his house and he handed me a, a Rubbermaid tub full of garbage. Basically it was like, it was pool noodles and some steaks and some, <laughs> some tapes and a tape measure was in there and a couple, maybe a tripod or two, but it was one tub, one Rubbermaid tub. And that was it. And, um, 
And he said, you'll have to get your own cameras because I'm not giving you mine. <laughs> and um, <laughs> over over 12 years, I, I built it up to where, you know, the FLCPA now is a travel, tra- a small trailer full of equipment with buoys and cameras and, sure. you know, a $10,000 timing system and um, everything you need to put on a world level competition. And it's not eight or 10 people. It's now you know 50 60 70 people these meets are as big as as world championship sure and um as my life was after i'd done it for about 10 years i could see you know hey i'm I'm gonna be done with this pretty soon and i started looking around you know probably the same way chris did and said who's gonna take this over who's gonna do this sure when i'm done you know because i certainly don't want to see it end right you know and eventually I started talking to Kurt and Jeannie about it. You know, I would drop little hints during the meet, you know, we'd just be randomly at the competition. I'd go, Hey, you know, you guys could probably organize one of these. How do you think? And I'd just walk <laughs> away. You know, I'd just like drop little seeds. Plant the seed. <laughs> plant the seeds. And I did that for a couple of years. And eventually I was like, okay, it's yours. Nice. And they've, they've done a good job of keeping the, well, now, I, I don't know if you were one of the guys that got it started, but uh, you were certainly a participant in the early morning swoop club in Cross Keys. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that, club Cross Keys. What yep. was that? Tuesdays or Thursdays? It was 6 o'clock in the morning <sighs> to 10 in the morning. Jump yep. as much as you could. Yep, yep. It was Tuesday mornings, and it started before I got I got into it. It was a staff day, yep. you know, and John, I think um, John used to either give away the slots or they were like five bucks a jump or something. Sure. It, was, it was, it was one of his ways of giving back to his staff. Right. right? Cause Tuesday morning, the drop zone opened late. Yeah. <clears throat> they, they jumped like crazy 20, 30 tandems on a Saturday and a Sunday, <clears throat> Sunday night, everybody went out to Philly yep. and partied. Cause that was the beginning of their weekend. Yeah. Monday they worked a bit and, or, or they'd go out Monday or Tuesday. And I'm sure you can talk more about that than I can. <laughs> um, but Tuesday morning, it was sun up, get up first thing in the morning, you're up with the sunrise. And um, by the time I got to it, it was it was 100 bucks for 10 jumps. Yep. And that was it. You paid your $100 and you paid it in advance. And it got to the point where I started helping out with organizing and I collected the money, right? Sure. So you had to bring me 100 bucks on, on Monday and you gave me 100 bucks. And they're like, well, what if I only want to do five jumps? And I said, okay, that's a hundred bucks too. Um, and they said, well, can I start on load two or three? I say, sure you can. Just give me your hundred bucks and the plane will fly without you. you know? yeah. So there would always be somebody who would roll in like 20 minutes late. They would oversleep and they'd miss the first load and the plane went, you know, 6 a.m. Yep. The plane was up and we did 10 jumps. We were done by, you know, 10, 10 o'clock or so. Yeah. And, um, and uh, it was great, you know. That's really where I got a lot of my sure starting starting of learning how to swoop on a pond was was there at Cross Keys on those sure. mornings at and the, then, in the nastiest smelliest pond at the time. Oh, yeah. oh my know. god! And then afterwards, we would go buy a we'd buy a Casey Yingling, and uh, Sewin, Will, and myself would go to uh, there's a little um, there's a place that would do all you can eat sushi on Tuesdays. Yes. Yes, so I know. We would, we would, uh, we would eat. Uh, we would go drink a case of beer between the three of us, and we would eat all you can eat sushi. Oh my god, it was! We would just eat so much of it; it was crazy. So oh, yeah. like, 
it was amazing. So I don't, I don't know how Soen ate that much. I think he was eating for the whole week. Probably. Probably. And then it got to the point where we wanted to eat more fish, but they wouldn't give you sashimi. They'd only give you, give you the rice. So he started taking like the rice and putting it in his pockets. <laughs> <laughs> and then at one point he was like, he'd get up and like, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Much more of that, but it was, no. it was a good time. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, one of my favorite things about the the swoop club was that it went from just staff members going out and swooping and and nobody really knew about it to a full-on spectator sport. Every Tuesday morning, you'd have staff members that weren't jumping that all that weren't working that day that would start day drinking with the sun or they continued drinking from the night before and pile out to the pond and watch swoop club. And it was fucking great cuz it was always mayhem. Yeah, depending on who you are, some people would tell you that there was a swoop club, and then there was, then there was breakfast club, and there was a grill. At one point, there was a grill that got wheeled out there, and they were making yes. bacon and eggs, and then there was drinking club. Yep, they had the and carpets the out there for packing there and. and heckle, yeah. Oh yeah, no, it would just it really went off for for, and I was only there for a couple of seasons of it, but and I only actually jumped in it a few times, but it was a damn blast. It was hilarious. Yeah, there was loud music playing and people dancing, and yeah, it was it was entertaining. Yeah, just it was a, a good time for sure. Just a Tuesday morning at Cross Keys, man. Yeah. yeah. So and then, please go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, then then Florida came in, and I started swooping down there, and and just kept going, you know. Well, so that's the thing, right? Product. You're you're still going at it. You still compete, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Didn't make the team this past year. I mean, every year it's like I show up at nationals and. um I mean, I said this three years ago, like at this point now, I've because I've been doing it for I don't even know how long, 15, 16, 17 years, whatever. Right. Um, I show up to nationals and I go, there's no way I'm going to make the team this year because I watch these guys swoop every year. And the, the younger cr- crowd that's coming up, right, they're coming up through the FLCPA. Yeah. They're good, right? A lot of yeah. They're really good pilots. They're very intuitive. They get how to fly. They know it. They understand the wings. And they're in a different place in their life. So they're willing to, you know, put a bit more speed, put a bit more oomph into it than I am. Yep. Maybe. Yep. Um, and I show up and I go, you know what, this year I'm just showing up. I'm just going to have fun. You know, not going to make the team, just going to go out and have a good time. Right. And, um, and that's the mentality I take into, into the swoop meets now, you know, I'm there, I'm there to have a good time. You know, okay. um, I've got nothing to prove, you know, I don't, I don't need to, win the competition i'm out there to have fun you know there are guys that are there that are pushing right they're pushing they want a spot they want a slot on the team they want a medal i'm out i'm i'm now i'm now out there having fun i'm heckling having a good time swooping you know helping people out the younger guys i give advice to some of the guys that i know for a long time that i see you know maybe they have a funny run you know i'll I'll be the guy that gives them a hard time you know but uh (laughs) It's fun. So uh, I'll keep doing nationals. And if I make the team again, then then so be it, you know. See, that's a great mentality to have, though, because I know, I mean, there's there's guys that are our age that are still out there cranking and going hardcore and they want that gold medal and they want the podium. And me as an older jumper who's broken myself more than a few times, I, I just oh, kind of cringe and look away because we don't feel at this age quite as easily as we used to. No, and I like I like doing other stuff too. So I did a few years back. I did uh, I did two way crew, mm. 
with uh, Maxine, we did a, a advanced team. We did probably 50, 60 jumps before nationals together and then competed uh, in two way. That was a lot of fun. I bet. Um, I did classic accuracy last year. Um, I'd done that probably about 10, 12 years ago. And then I, I pulled out an accuracy canopy and did it again last year. I'll probably keep doing that too. That's fun. I just like, I like flying parachutes. So sure. whatever it, it, whatever it is, you know, I, I enjoy it, you know, so I'll, I'll keep doing different stuff as well. Awesome. Awesome. Speaking of Maxine real quick, she's uh, doing speed skydiving now too, isn't she? She is. Yeah. She's now the female world champion. How right? fucking so cool she, is that? She won the world meet. She's set, she's set the world record and, and broken it now multiple times over the last few years. So yeah, she's killing it. She's put a lot of time and effort into really learning that discipline and, and sure. how to do it. Right. It's, you know, at first, I remember the first time I looked at it, I was like, oh, what? just get out of the plane and go head down. And then you start realizing what they're doing. And there's a lot more to it than that, right? There's sure. actual, there is technique, there is discipline, there is, you know, there's the right way to do it. There's the wrong way to do it, you know, and they're, sure. they're figuring it out, you know, and it's kind of cool because they're, they're really trailblazing that new discipline and, and you'll continue to see the records break because they're still figuring out the best way to do that. Sure. Well, that's the crazy thing, right? Is every time I think we've hit a plateau in skydiving in any of the disciplines, I get proven wrong, usually quite quickly. Oh, they're never going to swoop that far. They're never going to go that wow. fast. They're never going to do that. Yes. Yes, they are. And I, I just stop saying never as the old adage goes, because I keep making a fool out of myself thinking that it's not going to improve more and more and more. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps everything keeps changing, you know? Oh, yeah. Now, speaking of, how did you, when did you decide that the position that you're in now is a direction you wanted to go, or was it a decision where you approached, or was it, uh, you know, something I want to step up and help start, you know, molding the future? So, I, I mean, I guess it started, I mean, being at, at PD, I did a lot, a lot of stuff there. I got involved with, with the management group on, on how they did things there, and I got involved with USPA on the board and what was happening there and the, the sport. So I had, I had my hand in kind of in, in parachuting and I had my hand in skydiving a little bit. And, and as I worked a lot with, um, with Ed Scott, who was the previous executive director, mm -hmm. um, because while I was on the board, I was acting as the treasurer. Um, so I, I, there was a lot of back and forth, uh, if not weekly, at least every other week where I was communicating with him on different things that were going on in the organization on the financial side of stuff. So I got to know a lot of the staff. I got to know Ed very well. Uh, and he and I worked very well together. And then over the years, um, he reached a point where he, you know, uh, retirement was on the horizon for him, right? He had spent, he was coming up on, I think it was about 13 years as the executive director, 24 with the organization. Sure. Um, so he had been with USPA. He was director of government relations before that, and then moved into the executive director role. And he was nearing the end of his time at USPA. So being on the executive committee on the board, I would be involved in that, you know, decision-making process of who would take over that, that role. Um, so I started looking internally and I started going, okay, well, what would I expect to see out of that type of person? You know, what would they look like? What kind of education would they have? What kind of experience would they have? And then 
it was weird at some point i just kind of said well would that you know would that be me mm. you know could that be me sure and and what would i expect that person to to have and what would i expect that person to do um what sort of education would they they need to have and what sort of experience should they have and and where am i in relation to that right you know? so i did kind of a personal assessment of myself of you know who am i and, and am i a fit for that and if i'm not and i want to maybe be that person at some point in the future what do i need to change in my own life to maybe one day be that sure and do that job and um i ended up going back to school and getting a a, a master's degree in executive um an executive mba uh, which took a took a bit of time to do um and i kind of filled in some of the gaps in my personal and professional life of what i thought that person should be sure. you know um and i said well if if it ends up fitting then it fits if it doesn't and there's somebody better for the position then then so be it um so once it came time for that uh, executive search to begin with the board because the board obviously the board USPA board of 22 will select who that executive director is sure the executive director is this is is the chief staff position at USPA right so USPA is a 501c4 uh, nonprofit organization, and it's governed by a board of 22 board members. Uh, 14 of those are regional directors, eight of them are national directors. And as USPA members, we all vote for who sits on that board mm. every three years. We have the opportunity to choose, you know, vote new people in, vote other people out, etc. So that board would select who is going to be hired for this executive director position. So when that came time for that to occur, I, I, um, I went to the board and I said, Hey, I'm going to put my name in the hat for that. So at that point I took two steps backwards and I said, I'm not going to be involved in the, in the hiring process, obviously, because my intention is to, is to uh, put my name in the hat for it. Um, and I couldn't be part of the, couldn't be part of the selection process sure. if I'm, one of the selectees potentially. So I, I, I stepped away from that and I, I simultaneously went to, um, I went to Bill and John who, um, from, from PD who I'd worked for, for the last 14 years. Um, and I said, Hey, I want you guys to know I'm interested in maybe making a shift in my life and doing that. Um, I'd worked for them for so long. Um, and I, I didn't want, I felt it was the. It's kind of weird to go to your boss and say, "Hey, guess what? I'm I'm going to go apply for a job somewhere else." Right. Uh, a very weird, very difficult position to be in. But I went to him and I, I said, "Hey, I want you guys to know that I'm putting my name in the hat for this, and and I, I don't want you to hear about it at the bar at PIA, or <laughs> right. I don't want you to hear about it at the drop zone from somebody else." And says, "Hey, did you know one of your managers is is looking at?" leaving i said i want you to hear it from me sure and i want you to know so when when somebody comes up to you at the at the drop zone bar or at pia and says hey did you hear your your employees going to uspa right. i want i wanted them to be able to say yes we know right. that we had a discussion about it and, sure. and we support that because that's good for the sport you know sure um and i felt they deserved that and uh and and eventually so we 
USPA, the board went through their selection process and interview process. And then um, I was selected for the position and I started, uh, there was a bit of overlap with sure. myself and Ed and uh, at the end of 2020. So we worked side by side for a while. I got to see kind of what he did day to day sure. in the office and, and watched how he handled some of the, the daily struggles of the position. And then he stepped off and, uh, and I stepped in. So into the, into the big shoes, pretty smooth transition. I would say nice. um, it was, you know, you never know what, you never know what it's going to look like. Right. When you, especially you go into any new job. Right. Right. And, and you don't know what it's like, like what's the office politics like, you know, who gets, who gets along and who doesn't. Right. Because when, I mean, anybody who's interviewed for a new job, you step into a new job and everything's always perfect in the interview. <laughs> yeah. And then you get in there and you see the shit storm that's behind the curtain that no one would show you in yep. HR. Right. And I gotta say they, they, um, the staff here is great. They all, I mean, I stepped in, I think at a really good time. Sure. Um, and I hear the stories of, you know, 10 years ago when stuff wasn't so nice, right. but um, I mean, everybody here works really well together. They all get along well and they're all headed in the same direction, right? They're all, they all want to do good things for the sport. They all want to do good things for the member. <clears throat> they get it right they're, sure. And they're all very motivated to do good things. So, right. and uh, I hate to say it made my job a lot easier than it could have been because my job was just to help give them guidance and give them boundaries. And, and a lot of the great ideas and a lot of the great things you, you see coming out of USPA, they're not all mine, mm. right? They're, they're from the staff here and the board for sure. And, and they're everyone else's ideas. And my job is to just help kind of, keep them moving along the path and, sure. and helping make it happen. Well, I think it's, I'm glad that you broke it down the way that you did. Cause I think there's a lot of uh, members that don't understand exactly how the whole system works and how you get into the position that you're in. And, and uh, it's, I think people think a lot of the times that the USPA is kind of out of their control, which is absolutely not the case because you're in the position that you're in because the directors, the regional directors and the uh, the lower end directors all voted to put you in place. And those are the people that we as members vote into place. So exactly. yeah. we did put you there by putting that board together for them to make that decision. So it's, it's nice for, for uh, the average jumper to understand that it really does count yeah yeah i mean you guys everybody who is a member of uspa gets to vote for who's on the board and and you know people it's funny like in government people say oh i'm not i'm not gonna vote for who's president this year my vote doesn't matter right because there's millions and millions and millions of people who are voting for who's right. going to be in in a, in a government office right right and in uspa's case there's there's 40, 41, almost 42,000 members, but only a fraction of those members actually vote in right. the USPA board elections. Um, it's around 6,500, right. about 15% of the membership, something like that. So when you look at those numbers, and then you even break that down into the regions where each region has less than 1,000 people sure. to vote, um, even the large regions, I think, like southeast region and and southern california area those you might see six seven hundred people voting mm. right so your vote really does make a difference and sure. who's gonna who's gonna be that voice 
you know, and if you, if you're excited about the sport and you're excited about skydiving, then, I mean, I tell people like, look, you run, you know, talk to the person who's working as the regional director now. And, um, I don't know of any person who's on the board who will try and talk you out of getting involved. You know, sure. want, everybody wants more people involved. You know, the more, sure. more USP members that give solid input, the better the organization will be. Why do you think such a low turnout voting wise? I mean, you, you guys have made it relatively easy to vote for those directors. I mean, it's all online. <clears throat> yep. It's all online. Now it used to be all paper ballots. Now we see, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a handful. Um, sure. I don't remember how many it was in the last election, but I want to say it was like less than 50 people voted by paper. Sure. Know, very few come in via paper. There's still a few folks who just, they just don't do the internet, you know? Right. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> so fair they, enough. they, uh, they get the ballot on paper and they, they mail it in with a stamp and, and that's perfectly fine. You sure. know, those, those votes get counted for sure. Um, just like all the online ones. Uh, the online is one of the reasons that we're act- you're actually able to see the results so much faster. Sure. It used to be they would sit here in this office and, and count ballots, right? Marking tick marks and one person would count them. And then another, like, there were multiple people, there were two different people who would, who would do the count. And if they, if they came up with a different count, they had to count over, they both had to count over again. Sure. So you have the pro- the election proctor and then you have somebody else who's a backup and they go, I got, you know, 60, 60- <laughs> You know, 650 for that region they go i got 651 yeah damn it yeah like um, <laughs> and uh so they would but it, it it works good i mean we we actually put in the in the uspa uh we do a survey every year that, it, that comes out in january and there are some different questions in there and this year we actually put a question in there about did you vote in the election um if you and if you didn't vote why didn't you vote was it because um one of the things and one of the you know there was nothing that was overwhelmingly high so we used to just ask yes or no um and this year we actually broke it down to why why did you not vote was it because you forgot was it because you didn't think your vote mattered was it because you didn't know enough about the candidates and out of all the no's, the highest one was didn't know enough about, didn't feel they knew enough about the candidates. Sure. Um, so that feedback to me is very important because when I see that, uh, what I see there is something that I need to make it my goal to change that. Sure. Right. I need to make sure that this organization is doing everything it can to convey enough information and make sure that the membership can learn about the candidates uh, sure. if they so choose. So, I mean, there's there's the bios that are in Parachutist Magazine. There's bios that are on parachutist.com. Um, some of the board members created Facebook groups. Sure. Some put out little videos um, saying, hey, my name is Bob and I'm running for regional director. Here's sure. who I am and here's what I'm about. Sure. Um, and those that did that actually got really good results out of it. Those who, sure. who worked and engaged it, um, not this election, but the one before Shannon Searles, who is now our director of sport promotion. She works on staff now, but she ran for the board. Um, and not everyone knew her. You know, she was really well known in the base community, really well known in Northern California. Sure. I lived in Florida. I didn't know who she was. I was like, who right. is this girl? 
running for national director. You know, I've never even heard her name before. Right. And you know what? She, I was like, well, that one's not going to win. You know, um, she won a national seat. Right. And one of the things she did was she created some videos. Here's who I am and here's what I'm about. Yeah. Here's what I care about. Here's what I do. I, I skydive, you know, um, and I care about this and I care about that. Um, I did a set of series, a series of videos that year as well on, you know, how to vote in the election and, and how to do it and why you should vote for me and, you know, what sure. does USDA do and kind of educational approach more than just, hey, here's who I am and, and why. For sure. Did a little for bit sure. Well, um, I mean, Melissa Nelson is a great example of that. I mean, talk about a go-getter. She wanted the seat and she made sure that everyone not just knew who she was and what she had done, but what she stood for and was passionate about in the sport, which I think was huge. Um, and Mike McGowan, you got to live under a rock if you don't know who Mike is. Um, but yeah. for those that know the guy, they know from reputation and experience exactly what he's about and what he stands for. And so in that respect, <laughs> Uh, names like that jumped out at me. I know them both. Um, but uh, for people that don't have the opportunity to get all around the country and are in a smaller region and, and don't have the access, stuff like that is incredible. Really yeah, Melissa, Melissa created a, a Facebook group out of it. She also went out and she really hit the she really pounded sand. She went out to different drop zones. She went and visited a bunch of DZs and talked to them. Um, <clears throat> Mike McGowan's a He's a, he's a real asset to the board as well. Sure. Uh, and if you ever, one of the things we started doing and, and COVID brought this about, but if you ever listen to Mike at the board meetings, you, you realize like he is, he brings a, he's an old wise voice. You yes. Know? And, and, and he's clearly, you know, he's about the skydiver. Right. Right. Um, but one of the things, and that was something that came out of COVID that was pretty good was um, <clears throat> the USP had a tough time figuring out like when, when COVID kicked in, how are we going to hold board meetings? Right. So we went to uh, the first meeting uh, of COVID was a hybrid meeting mm. um, where we had some of the board members were in person and some were virtual on a zoom call. So we, uh, and this was, before my time, they worked out all the technology to do that. So we had a ver we had it set up that way. And at the same time, we also started broadcasting the meetings so members could tune in, right? So if you're a member in good standing, uh, you could log into your account on USPA.org. You could get a link to the Zoom meeting, a unique link just for you that would allow you and only you to get into the meeting. Uh, so it wasn't broadcast to the general public. Sure. You had to be a member to get in. But you could listen to the meeting, right? You could hear the exchanges that went on. Um, we had videos set up, um, and, uh, it's gone over pretty good. So we did a couple meetings virtual, uh, or hybrid like that with some folks away, some folks there. And now we've, we've kept the virtual aspect of it to have the broadcast for the membership, sure. uh, to listen in if they, so if they so desire. And, um, sometimes we have the ability that if a board member, uh, needs to be, uh, can't come to the meeting, but still wants to attend. Um, we have the, the board has the ability to allow that if they, if they see fit. Sure. You know, it's an appropriate reason for an absence. Well, and it being broadcast is great too. It kind of uh, continues to help lift the veil, so to speak, and allow people to see what's going on behind the scenes. Cause I mean, 
when I started out in the sport, USPA was who I had to pay my money to. And that's who sent me the magazine that I went to see three things. You know, I wanted to see the centerfold picture, the last shot and, and the fatality reports to read up on this. And then you'd read this article or that in between loads. But USPA in general was just kind of a mystery. So it's really good to see it changing, especially as skydiving gets more and more mainstream. And it does. I mean, my Lord. Yeah, there's, and, and so we've got them there. It's, I mean, it's not as, watching it online isn't as, it's not as smooth as, as sitting in the room, right? You don't get all the context that you would get if you were in the room listening to all the back and forth banter. It's a little bit clunky, I would say. Um, but we have different members that tune in for different portions as well. Sure. Some will come in for the big plenary session. Some will tune in just to a specific committee. Um, if they have some input they want to give or they have a, an idea that they want to toss towards the committee. And, and truthfully, the, the cool thing about the board meetings, a lot of the big changes that come in the, in the sport aren't, some of them are the idea of board members, but a lot of them are the ideas of, of just general members of the organization who are passionate about something and, sure. and they bring it to the board, you know, like VFS, MFS and the competition side of things, MFS, these things, it, it, you know, it wasn't the board members that created these. It right. was members of the organization who were passionate about that specific thing. They figured it out. They brought it to the board. Like um, any one of the name, any one of those disciplines, somebody showed up to the board and said, Hey, we want to do this in a competition. And here's what we think it'll look like. Sure. And here's a, uh, you know, we took a shot at the rules too. Here's the way we think it should go. <laughs> right. You know, and the and the folks who do that little bit of work, you know, because the board is all volunteer. None of those guys that are on the board are getting paid. Right. Right. There's no big fat paycheck for any of those folks. They're all there as volunteers, just as every board, as every general member is. Right. They've just devoted the time and effort to put into it. So a general member who, who has an idea and wants to present it, it's more than welcome to you, you communicate with the appropriate committees because that's how the board functions in a committee sure. structure. And you say, hey, I think we should do this. And if it's a good idea, it'll it'll gain traction. It'll go. And 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 you can help make that happen. Sure, which is awesome. <clears throat> now, I mean, actually, well, I... recently we've had um we had the idea of um, and this has been tossed around kind of for a, a little bit and and it really pushed forward again. This meeting was um we there was a motion at this meeting that passed um, an allocation of some money from the Skydiving Safety Foundation to go towards creating educational videos mm. for the instructor pool on professionalism, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny to chuckle about it because we've all been there, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, our sport is, is unique, right? So early this year, we revamped um, and it started last year, and I got to say, Jen Sharp and, and Ron Bell uh, here at staff were really the ones that took this idea, along with help from some other members who got involved with this as well, and built, they took a few years back, probably, I want to say it was like seven or eight years ago, there was an SNTA training program you had to do, and it was questions and answers you did online. Mm. And this year, that got a big facelift. Right. And this year we implemented it's video based learning. So it's video with animation and it periodically stops along the way and you answer questions. Mm. Right. 
It's 13 modules. Uh, on average, it took about two hours for the SNTA to do. It was 85 minutes of video. If you answer the question wrong, you had to go watch that little segment again. Um, but there was some information on there on, on understanding the FAA, what are your roles and duties and responsibilities as, a, as an advisor, understanding the aircraft and, and, and pilot requirements and, and the F, a little bit on the FARs, very small amount on the FARs. Um, and there was a section on professionalism and there was a section on how we treat our sky family. Right. Sure. And, and it's one of those things we all, you know, a lot of people are out there having fun, but you know, when we, you know, when you walk into Walmart or McDonald's, you know, the, 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 the cashier at, at McDonald's doesn't say, Hey, 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 sweet tits. Can I get you some fries with that? Right. You know, it's not acceptable. Right. And at Walmart, right. the cashier doesn't smack you on the ass on the way out the door. Right. It's just not appropriate. Right. Right. So there's, and if you were to do one of some of those things, you would be, immediately be, be fired. Right. Oh, yeah. No questions asked. Right. Uh, um, so in skydiving, like we, you know, we, I think of skydiving as a, as a, a high end experience, right? They're going there and people are having an experience of a life, something they will talk about for their entire life. Absolutely. And it will potentially change their life. I know it changed my life. Oh yeah. I would not be where I am today if I hadn't made that first jump, you know, at that time in my life. And it changed the course of my life. And there are so sure. many other people who are involved in skydiving and, and either skydive professionally or skydive recreationally. They go out to the drop zone on the weekend like it was a golf course. Instead of going golfing, they go out to the DZ and they make half a, they make a dozen jumps. Right. So it changes people's lives. Sure. And it deserves that, you know, that type of experience and that type of professionalism. So, oh, yeah. So we implemented that in the S&TA portion earlier this year. And the next step is that that online virtual education is going to be something we're, we're going to do more of. Mm. And the board looked at that at this winter meeting and said, yes, let's do it. Sure. And, I, um, I think that's a great idea. I mean, I've talked about it a number of times on the podcast. The only regrets that I have as an instructor in skydiving are looking back at what were some of the most fun and some of the craziest days of my career back to cross keys, it always goes, where I look back at these incredible times I had, but I look at some of the tandems that I took and that tandem skydive had nothing to do with the student. And I look back at those with regret because it was me and the camera flyer or vice versa, having all kinds of fun. And the student was just a prop that we were using. Um, mm -hmm. And I look back at those and think, yeah, I had an awful lot of fun, but I can't tell you if that student did. And I regret that. I really do. Because it is such a huge deal. And it horrifies me to think that someone looks back at that one and only skydive they did and went, yeah, it was a pretty cool jump. But that asshole I was jumping with was doing this, that or the other thing, you know, and, and so I, I'm really glad to hear that that's going on because although I don't think it's as bad as it used to get uh, back in the cross keys days, I know it still goes on. And, and it's nice to know that at least in regard to the general public, um, the face that we put to them, we're doing it in a professional manner where it makes them feel safe and it makes them feel wanted there. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the world's changing, right? It's, it's <laughs> not, people aren't going out for the Fandango. Not everyone's going out for the Fandango experience anymore. No. You know? So People are the sports changing. I think the world is changing. 
Um, the expectation of the first time jumper is changing, you yep. know, what they expect come to want, right? You know, 25 years ago, we didn't have, you know, we weren't the Amazon crowd, right? We didn't right. own a cell phone. Um, every, all this information wasn't at our fingertips. So the world's changing and the way we all process that is changing too. So I think, I mean, if anybody's going to help move that along, I, I see USPA as potentially being able to be a leader in that area. Um, I mean, the USPA is is a world leader in the sport. I mean, everybody looks to just a few federations around the world, and obviously there are many different federations around the world, but the USPA is pretty much, again, the top of the pyramid in regard to how things are done and, and how things are organized. So it's a very logical place for something like that to start. Yeah, I mean, you being in, obviously, you've, you've seen a lot more of that. I mean, I remember when I started, I was like, okay, USPA, it's United States, but as I've grown through it, I've seen and, and, and at the board and then here I see that, you know, there's uh, about 215 USPA group member drop zones in the US. There's over a hundred foreign affiliate um, really? members. <laughs> so drop zones that are outside of the United States that have chosen to affiliate with this organization because sure. either you know, for some of them, maybe they, they don't like the national organization that's in their country, but a lot of them just, they don't have one, right? They sure. don't have a national aero club. They're not big enough. They're not organized enough. They haven't gotten to that point in their skydiving world to have that. So they've, they've affiliated with USPA and they look to USPA to help them along and make sure that they have the right, they have a set of rules to, to, to look at and, and live by and, and sure operate in the sport as safely as possible. I mean, at the last board meeting, the board approved, um, there's a number of uh, different countries and different folks who translate uh, this, some of our documentation, the SIM primarily, mm. um, into other languages. So to help that information get out there and proliferate that a little bit, the board approved putting that stuff onto our website. So in the future, we'll have not just the English version, but we'll probably have a Spanish version, you know, French, Chinese, sure. whatever other version. But there's folks out there that are doing these translations and they're doing them many times without help. And sometimes sure. the translations aren't the best. So um, they need to be looked over. They need to be updated on a periodic basis. Sure. So we're going to try and help that along a little bit and make, make that information available to folks who who may not be native english speakers or, sure. or maybe translating it themselves but you know one guy translates it into spanish for his little drop zone wherever he is well, what about all the other spanish speakers in the right. world who, who might benefit from that translation so sure we want to try and make that stuff a little bit more available to, well to and the I world, you know? And a proper translation would be pretty important. I mean, skydiving is a very nuanced, rich sport, right? <laughs> and there was one, Ron was giving me an example. He goes, yeah, um, at, at one, of the, one of the translations was slightly off. Um, and uh, it, it was in the, he, he said in the tandem section, it said you throw the drug at, at like 6,000 feet rather than release the drug at 6,000 feet nuance. Yeah. yeah. Small one. Yeah. Yeah. Might make a difference. Yeah. Now you guys <laughs> have actually had a couple of things come up recently that have raised eyebrows and either um, 
everybody agrees or there are a few people that are pissed off here and there. One of them is, and if I read it correctly, there's a, a standby now on any jumps above 18,000 feet um, for USPA. Um, and that's with the oxygen systems, correct? So yes and no. Um, there was a, uh, the PIA, the Parachute Industry Association, had their winter meeting, uh, their first meeting uh, a couple months ago. It was in February, I believe. Uh, and their technical committee discussed uh, high altitude skydiving. And what they did was they created a task force, uh, task force working group. I'm not sure which term they use. Um, that is going to look at putting together some documentation and some guidance on high altitude jumping. Uh, and that'll include some equipment information, probably some procedural stuff as well. Uh, and that's supposed to be done within the next 12 months. Along with that, they put out a notice for a safety standby for any operations above 18,000 mm. or 17,999 MSL. Right. Um, so that was not a USPA item it's not so it's not a mandate from uspa i'm glad um, i asked yeah so a little bit different so um with that there are some folks who i think what they'll what what will have is it'll it's going to make people pay attention right sure. so pi basically looked at it and said hey we don't think there's sufficient information out here out sure. there to be doing these so we want to supplement what's there and get more you know in the effort to make sure people are making educated and wise choices, we're going to put together this study or document that has some more information in it. Um, and they've asked everyone to, you know, stand by until they've got that out. So I think some folks who are probably performing those jumps and do them on a regular basis and have processes and have procedures, have equipment, you know, um, may, may choose to continue doing them. Uh, some places who are maybe have never done them before and are thinking about starting them <laughs> and don't know left, right, center, they, right. those guys might wait, you know, and say, oh, well, I'll, you know, maybe best thing for me to do would be to wait for this document to come sure, out sure. Um, and use it as guidance. But uh, so we were, were aware that that's going on. Uh, USPA will have a, a liaison on that group that's writing that document. Cool. So we can make sure that the, the, USP members' interests are considered as they're putting it together. Cool. Um, now, the other one uh, uh, that I know is USPA, because I got to read your signature is the first official document I saw, uh, was the licensing, um, basically, um, hold, I suppose, for Russian and Belarusian citizens. USPA, like you said, is not a political organization, but you kind of got thrust into it. I'm sure not happily uh, having to deal with a, something like that. That cannot have been an easy subject for you guys to deal with. Yeah, that was a tricky one, and and the you know the executive committee spent a spent a fair amount of time discussing that and and talking about it and, and looking at it before making a decision on it. Um, the letter that came out from USPA on that was after uh, the FAI and ISC decision. So the, the memberships of Russia and Belarus were suspended uh, to the FAI and, and as well the ISC. Um, they were also um, basically told they would not be welcomed at the uh, World Games mm. in Birmingham, which 
for us, that's a big thing because, you know, having skydiving at the world games is, is a pretty cool thing, right? It's, yes. it's skydiving and, and that's a massive event, right? World games is second only to the Olympics. Yeah. So to have a skydiving involved in that is, is huge, but that event is not just skydiving, right? It's a massive event. There are loads of sports, basically anything that isn't in the Olympics and is still a, a, a good sport as a top level sport is probably in the world games. Sure. Um, it's in some ways it's the stepping stone, right? It's kind of the, it, it, they go some event, some uh, sports will go from the world games to the Olympics. Some will, sure. will never go up to the Olympics sure. for, for various reasons. Um, but shortly after that had occurred, USBA spent a fair amount of time talking about that and um, made the decision to um, discontinue recognizing. And it's, it's the recognition of, uh, licenses, ratings, and memberships of, of Russia and Belarus. So sure. um, if someone is uh, has a license from one of those countries and uh, is intending to come to the United States to jump, then they would they the uh, USP would not recognize the, those licenses. So it's it's a difficult one. Um, there are a lot of USP members in Russia and Belarus. <clears throat> this is not directed at any individual or sure. any USPA member. So sure. um, we've gotten that question a lot from USPA members and, and USPA rating holders who say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm doing AFF or I'm doing tandems with a, um, my USPA ratings and, and I'm Russian, you know, what does this mean? I said, In short, it doesn't really mean anything. Right. You know, you, you, if you're a member of you, this does not affect USPA memberships uh, or the ratings of, of any USP member. So um, if they're in Russia, they might have a difficult time getting here right now. <laughs> sure. Um, sure. And the other difficult one that we're going to probably start seeing more and more is USP members uh, who are in those countries who want to renew their memberships, but, but can't do it um, because they can't send money here. Um, yeah. They're going to run into, those folks are going to run into financial struggles right now the the uh, OFEC restrictions the office of foreign asset control in the united states is that's who would dictate whether or not we can still do business with a country right like sure. we can't have members in iran we can't have members in north korea we're not allowed to do business with anyone there it's like full-on embargo right Cannot right. play with does not does not play well um russia is not in that situation right now you know russia is in the situation where where Iran, North Korea, those are, you can't play with anybody over there. Right. Russia is in the situation of, you can play with everyone except these specific people. Sure, sure. So if, you're, if you're one of the oligarchs who made it onto the, the, the naughty list, <laughs> those guys we can't play with. If right. you're, uh, but the big thing that matters to, you know, USPA members is it, 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 it targeted at the Russian banks. So if they happen to bank in one of those, at one of those banks, if they try and pay their USPA membership with their credit card, the credit card companies in the United States are going to nix that payment before it ever sure. gets to us. So, sure. you know, they might end up having to have, if they don't have a U.S. bank account, they may have to have somebody over here pay for their membership if they want sure. to do that. Um, yeah, that'll be a tricky one for folks as they go forward who are who are in those countries 
can't sure. leave and you do all their financial banking over there. So now if you've got a, a jumper that's jumping at a USPA affiliated drop zone that has their ratings either from Russia or Belarus, obviously those ratings aren't going to count, but does their experience count in their ability to get a USPA rating? Can they do that? Yeah. So there are, and, and there have been folks who are over here who, um, who have gone to the local drop zone and said, Hey, you know, um, Sergey's here and he's only got a, he's, he's got 5,000 jumps and he's here to skydive and he's only got a Russian license. What do we do with him? And, right. and what the drop zone did is they got him a USPA membership and they went through his log book and they confirmed that he had all the skills to get him an A license. <laughs> nice. And he signed up for an A license and he nice. could do whatever he could do with an A license. So he could still jump. Um, depending on where he's at and what he wants to do. Sure. If you're in the United, if you're in the United States, you have to have USPA ratings anyway. Sure. So you can't jump with, with, uh, you couldn't have a, a foreign tandem rating and work at a USP group member drop zone. So, um, those folks have most, most all of them have USPA ratings credentials already. Um, so very, very few folks who, who find themselves in that situation and hopefully, Hopefully in, in the near future, things kind of yeah. Hopefully to get back to normal, but we'll yeah. we'll see where stuff goes and for sure. And hopefully we can get back to everything uh, going the way we all want it to go. I think for sure. Now looking down the road, do you see? Are there any exciting things coming with the USPA? I mean, it's kind of the next generation USPA, right? So uh, it's you know new technologies, new visibility, all this stuff. Is there anything on the horizon um, that uh, people should know about? Man, the yeah, lots, lots of stuff. There's moving <laughs> parts everywhere. So, I mean, in um, we talked about the training, the training stuff, video-based training. I'm really, I'm excited about that. That you know, Jen and Ron, they've got me excited about that. They're nice. like Ron's job is safety and training, right? But he spends a lot of his time on what we call the safety things, right? And what that ends up being is the disciplinary stuff, right? Bob did this wrong. You know, he did, you know, these emergency procedures are wrong. This guy did this wrong. This guy did that wrong. He's got to deal with all, all of that. And that's one part of his job, right? And it's got to get done. It's important. Sure. Um, the other side of it is the training side, which is the side that, quite frankly, if you spend more time doing training, maybe you spend less time doing <laughs> discipline, clients and disciplinary stuff on the back end, right? But they fight for time. So, Spending more time into that training is where he is really excited. He's really passionate. Um, he'll tell you he's not a good writer, but he writes great articles. If you read some of the stuff he's put in the magazine, um, the, the newest one that's out is the non-fatal incident report. Mm. Um, so there's the fat fatality report that comes out and that yeah. comes out in April issue. Yeah. But then in May, the one you guys are going to see in a couple of weeks, the one that just got dropped off right here on my desk. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, here's, here's the cover. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. So um, he did a re really great job on the non-fatal incident report, and it breaks things down into he, he for the first time he broke things down into a severity index, right? Okay. So for non-fatal accidents that occur, um, how bad were they? Right? right? Did they? Was it just a bump and scratch? Did it require you to go to a hospital? 
and looking at the severity. And when you start doing that and you start calculating that, you can learn a lot more. Sure. But really it all comes back to, we can do that now because more people are filling out accident reports, incident reports. Which is so important. It's huge. It is so huge, especially as we watch our fatality numbers drop. You know, we had 10 last year. Great, just... great thing. The great thing that the number is going down. I would say the only bad thing about the fatality numbers going down is you can't do as much statistical analysis when you only have 10 data points. Yes. <clears throat> so how do we resolve? That's a great problem to have. But the way we resolve that, non-fatal incident reports. Sure. Because looking at the non-fatal incident reports, the trend analysis that we can see in those leads us to the fatalities. We can literally see all the same stuff that we're doing wrong in non-fatal incidents in fatalities. So if we can, wouldn't it be better to identify those problems in non-fatal incidents and save people's lives? And we can do that if more people fill these out. Last year, there were about 250 filled out. The year before, uh, it was about a hundred and a quarter. So we doubled the number that came in. Which is epic. We've been advertising them on the magazine, like, please fill out an incident report, fill out an incident report, fill out an incident report. We yeah. redact the names, we redact the locations. So you can't, so nobody knows where these occurred or who sure. they were with. It's about what happened, sure. right? And us being able to then analyze that. And you see things like the, the don't delay cutaway campaign that happened, right? That was a result of, that was a data-driven uh, movement to sure. try and say, hey, we're seeing a trend. Let's stop it before sure. it hurts more people. Sure. So the more of those that come in, the more we can do to analyze that data on a more timely basis to say, hey, we're seeing a trend of this. We need to stop going this way and start going that way, right? Which is incredible. And um, the tough part is in the United States, those are... Um, they're voluntary, right? Sure. USDA is not a regulatory body. We can't force people. We're not government. So it's up to you whether you fill them out. Now, if you fill them out, we will all reap the benefits of learning from that. Sure. If we don't, then we don't. In other countries like UK, Australia, that's mandatory reporting, mm. right? And if we look at how many incidents they have per jump and we compare it to the United States, we should have somewhere like four or 5,000 incident reports coming in a year. Sure. Right. Sure. If everybody was reporting, but we're seeing about 250 so far. So, but the numbers headed up, it's headed in the right direction. So hopefully we can keep doing that. Well, and especially um, considering you're able to pass on your oops moment, um, yeah. even in a way that, you know, does not embarrass you if that's the situation. Um, but uh, I, I'm lucky enough to be part of a, a relatively new Facebook uh, group called Beginner Skydiving Forum. And yeah. these these guys are asking all the right questions. And yeah. one guy asked a, a question about who on the drop zone, uh, you know, should you ask advice to? And one of the, the joking but very... Um, dead on ones was look for the guy that walks funny and talk to him because he's still here, but he did something wrong. He's probably got some good information for you. And it's true, right? Learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned some other things. Um, Sport promo. We're doing a lot in that area. Um, Last year we brought on a new PR firm to help us out in the second half of the year, did a lot of promotion of competition got a lot of good media coverage. Mm. And this year uh, we did such a good job with them last year. They did such a great job. 
we uh, we doubled down and we're doing it for the whole year this year, but we're we're covering more stuff, right? So if you saw um, just a couple weeks ago, the SOS record. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, got covered. It was on Good Morning America, ABC, NBC. There's an article uh, in the AARP magazine, right? So huge awesome. exposure, right? So in the first couple months of this year, we've already beat what we did last year. And we're going to do some competition coverage as well again. We're going to cover some model, right? We do a lot of good things. Um, we're going to we're going to try and do some promotion of what the sport does in, in veterans affairs, yeah. what, what what different drop zones are doing for their local communities and first responders. I mean, find a drop zone. And there's loads of drop zones around the U.S. that, that do um, – fundraisers for a local charity, whatever yes. it may be, fill in the blank, whether it's cancer research, whether it's the local homeless community, whatever it might be. So um, we're going to try and promote some of that and show the world who we are and, and what we're all about, you know? Well, it's fantastic that finally the, uh, um, the um, reputation of skydiving that was prevalent for so long, which was the Fandango reputation that, you know, we're out absolutely out of our fucking minds um, is starting to fade quite quickly, actually, in that there's a lot more respect being given to the sport in general and those that choose to partake in it. We're not all just, you know, crazy adrenaline junkies anymore, which is good. Yep. Yeah. Great. I think the more we can show, I mean, you know, as well as I do, there's doctors, lawyers, plumbers, electricians, school teachers, I mean, I went up to this year, I decided to do a couple safety days and, and I went to one up at a, a place called Seven Hill Skydivers there in Madison, Wisconsin. And one of the guys who helps run the drop zone, small club, really cool. I actually did two. I went to Skydive Chicago, big mm. drop zone. Yeah. And then the very next day I went to Seven Hills, Madison, Wisconsin, small club. And one of the guys that works there, uh, who's the uh, S&TA, is, uh, he's a first grade teacher, he's a school teacher, <laughs> awesome. right? So, awesome. I mean, it's, it's, it's everyday people, right? So yes. the sport doesn't just like golf, you know, or whatever else you may choose to do for playing soccer, whatever you may choose to do on the weekends, skydiving doesn't discriminate against any, any person, you know, no matter where they, they come from or what they do sure. or how they make a living. Sure. You know? And it's cooler than almost everybody else's sport. That is cooler. Yeah. yeah. Bottom you line. You go in the office on Monday and everybody says, what'd you do? Oh, I hit the golf ball around. Well, that's yep. cool. That's fun. But, you know, when you come in and say, yeah, I did a, did a couple 20 ways. No big deal. Sure. Well, that's Jump always the, that's always been the funniest thing about doing this podcast and talking to so many different people is it's 180 degrees backwards for me because it's a bunch of skydivers that shock me with the shit that they do in the real world. Like you yeah. You were what, you know, accountant or banker or lawyer or this or that. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm constantly blown out. You have a PhD in what? Holy shit. Mind blown. Um, yeah. Instead of the other way around where all those people are going, you jump out of planes. You do what? <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I love to talk to people. You get to a drop zone and you just ask, them, what do you do? Yeah. Oh, well, we're going to do an eight way. Like, no, no, no. What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you do when you're not here? Yeah. Oh, school teacher. Oh, that's cool. I'm an electrician. Gotta love you know, it. um, people from every all walks of life, you know, for sure. Um, what else we're doing? Um, we're working on there's a lot of big stuff in the technology side of things that we're doing. So we're, we're revamping the entire USPA database. We're going to transition that to a, 
whole new platform later cool. this year. Um, what what you will all what everyone will see as members is you'll see a new website. Um, and USPA as well as many other organizations change the website regularly. It's something sure. you kind of have to do. Um, so we're going to do that as well. But all the stuff that's behind the scenes on that, the entire database structure is also changing. Um, and the cool thing about that is it's going to be a big update for us. And it's hopefully going to set the stage for the future and what we want to do, right? So there's there's always things, and anybody who's worked in a an organization or company knows like there's always things you want to do but somebody says oh well sorry the system won't do that you know, right well, nobody wants you know um the, this the system should work for you it should enable you to do what you want to do and this is something that um and i'll, I'll say john leblanc used to teach me all the time he goes you, your systems at your organization should work for you they should help you do the great things you want to do. They shouldn't limit. You shouldn't, you should never say we can't do that because the system won't let us. Right. Right. The system is there to function and help you. It shouldn't be the limiting factor. So if it's not working for you, find a way to make it work. Sure. Right. And that's one of the things that this will be is this will be a step up and an upgrade for us to help set a platform that will allow us to be able to offer more things to USPN members in the future, help make things run faster, smoother, you know, there's some sections of our website when people go to renew things that are, you know, they're a little clunky right now. Sure. You know, sure. Um, and that's because they've just been built that way. Right. And, uh, you know, Jen's kind of leading this project up as our, our technology gal. And, and she's uh, she's got some really great ideas on it. And, and we'll have a nice, nice, smooth transition into that, hopefully. Well, and especially as we continue to bring newer generations into the sport, these are going to be already very tech savvy kids. That's the yeah. only way to put it. So you're going to have to make something that's easy for them to use. I mean, as well as us old timers being able to figure it out as well. Yeah. I mean, the Parachutist magazine is it's great. We're, we're, there's no plans to get rid of it. But a lot of that information is now being transitioned online. Right. Yeah. So you can see all the back issues on parachutist.com you can read the articles there um more and more stuff is going to go that way sure um, we've actually recently changed over the advertising part of it all it's not a print magazine it's all packages now right so it's right it's print and and online kind of together so um and and membership is is doing well too you know we just we saw a bit of a drop off with covid um and now we've just uh, as most most things, but um, actually last month membership just got back up to where it was pre-COVID and, and nice. we've got the highest membership we've had in, in the history of the organization. So nice, nice. we're going to keep trying to do good things and keep trying to do what's best for best for our members and best for the sport. Now, as we head into summertime, uh, have you got plans to go out and do a bunch of jumping? Where can people come out and jump with, uh, with the big guy? Man. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I'm all. I'm still all over the place. So this month, I, I'm. This is this month. I'm still focused on. Uh, I'm spending a, a fair amount of time. I did did a couple safety days. Uh, I'm gonna head out to another one more safety day at. Um, it's got out Tecumseh. Uh, in Detroit, and then uh, I'm gonna go out to um, Arizona for the Red Bull event, the plane cool. swap. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. That should be pretty interesting. And yeah. Then, uh, 
Yeah, then I'm going to focus on, and hopefully, I, I don't even, you know, part of me looks and goes, why am I even going there? Nobody's going to deploy a parachute. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Um, so then uh, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I got a bit more bike riding to do because I'm doing another fundraiser at the end, nice. of, at the end of May, uh, which is uh, right across Virginia and it's raising money for the U.S. Skydiving Safety Foundation. Awesome. So check in there and pledge a couple bucks if you if you've uh, that's my shameless plug for today. Fair enough. Um, I did it last year and I did it for the U.S. Parachute Team Trust Fund. And this year it's for the Safety Foundation. It's a little bit longer of a ride, and I've actually got a couple of people coming with me. I asked, I said, "Hey, is anybody else crazy? Anybody want to come ride with me?" And I had two people actually uh, step up, three others actually step up and come say they wanted to ride. Mike Savonarola, who is a uh, Old friend of mine from from uh, Florida who, who rides occasionally. He's he's in for he's in for. It. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this before the ride, but uh, <laughs> uh, he's going to be in for it because it's thirty three thousand feet of elevation, and he Boom. lives in Florida, so it's a lot of mountain climbing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other is uh, somebody who you probably know is Scott Macario. Oh yeah. Old friend from Cross Keys, uh, belly jumper. Um, I, I put it out there, and he goes, "Hey, that sounds like fun." I'll come along. That's a good cause. I'll come along. So uh, there's going to, and, uh, and as well as um, uh, another friend of ours from Florida, who's, who's coming along for the ride, not a skydiver, but a good friend of the skydiving community is going to come and come along as well. So very cool. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. And then after that, I've got a, I'm not sure where else I'm going to jump. Orange here is my home drop zone now. All right. So uh, it's kind of orange. So, I'll make it to some other places May once I get through May, assuming I survive the bike ride and I don't get eaten by a bear or anything. Something like that, uh, right? Yeah. So now I, I assume they can follow you by either going to the USPA website, which I, I believe is still USPA.org. Yep. USPA.org. Look, sh- look at that shit. Are you impressed? Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> so what well, you're you go there at least you have to go there at least once a year. Yes. Right? At least once yes. a year to live. Yes, absolutely. Um, What's your personal yeah, I mean, social media? How do they... where it's really easy to find me or, or anybody at the organization, right? You can go through the website. Cool. Um, there's there's emails for each department, competition at, sport promo at, membership at. My email is uh, abirchtold at uspa.org. So you can email me directly if you want. Um, uh, myself and the organization are on Facebook. So you can go there. Instagram as well. I'm not on Instagram as much. Fair enough. My, my, my personal life is, is more on Facebook. My wife does most of our family. She keeps all the family stuff up to date. She's better at, at that than I am. But um, a Facebook message, you can send me a Facebook message. You can give a call. Just call here too. Um, we got these awesome. fancy phones that ring. and you know, they, Even the cell phone rings when you call here for me. So even if I'm not in the office, I can still <laughs> talk to you. Um, but really, anything anybody needs, I mean, um, the organization is very approachable. The one thing you will find is that when you call here, there is no there is no press one for membership, press two for to be sent into a black hole. No. Yeah. Get a person that picks up, right? If you call during normal business hours, one of the ladies over in membership services will pick up, and they're awesome. 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 They do a great job. They're super sweet. They're really nice. Um I'd say just, just if you're feeling bad, just call and say hi to them. You know, they're really cheery voices. Like if I'm in a bad mood, I go over there and I talk to them. I just actually, I can stand out and listen. 
Because it's just so <laughs> And they love talking to members and helping people out. So awesome. Awesome. Um, just give a call if you need anything and and we're we're here for you, you know. It's 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 your organization and, and uh we want to do what we can do to be best for skydiving. So well, I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm glad that we had the opportunity to catch up, if only to to clear up a couple of misconceptions that I had. It's all fucking great information that members should know about, and I think a lot of them don't. So, as always, man, thank you for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. No worries. Yeah, happy to, man. It was good chatting with you, too. And there you have it. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void brought to you as always by, and say it with me, fuck yeah, NZ Aerosports. Head to nzaerosports.com. By Pussfoot. That's right. Head to Pussfoot.com, the extreme sports collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com. Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know them, you love them. Head to TonySuit.com. Check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now on YouTube. That's right, you're going to have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to YouTube.com and looking up the Lunatic Fringe Podcast. It's easy. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had, as well as new and upcoming interviews on video. As always, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or princesspilot.com. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time around.